Please be seated. There is a handout that will help you find our cross-references if you would like that for a help. sermon today is about truth, salvation, life, and worship. We've been on the topic of worship for three weeks, I think. We began our meditation on worship by doing a little survey of Romans chapter 1, as you recall, and uh, in Romans chapter 1, we were reminded that because of the fall of man, because of man's sinfulness in Adam, man had a certain predisposition in him. We call it depravity. Man's predisposition It's called depravity. It's called original sin. And what we read in Romans chapter 1 is that man in his sinfulness, he suppresses the truth and unrighteousness. This is one thing that man does in his natural state. And he wouldn't glorify God. That is, man does not glorify God because of depravity. And man doesn't give him thanks And so we, we recognize these things in some senses as being the opposite of worship. Whatever the opposite of worship is, maybe you would choose the word blaspheme. Maybe you would choose the word corrupt. But the opposite of worship is what you read about in Romans chapter 1. What does man do in his fallen state? He does the opposite of worship, God. Man is literally bent away from proper respect to truth, bent like a piece of rebar. He's bent away from the proper or true glorifying of God. He's bent away from the proper thankfulness toward God. The same way a salmon is bent to return to its stream where it spawns, it just does that. It, it can't help but do that, can it? That's what a salmon does. It's bent in that way. So a man who is unregenerate, so a man who is not born again is bent on doing the opposite of worshiping God. He cannot He cannot. Man's depravity means he does not worship God in truth until he is regenerated, until he is born again. And then, when a man is born again, only when a man is born again, can he be transformed by the renewing of his mind. Where does that come from? Romans chapter 12. 
when a man is born again, when he's been given new life, when he's become a new creature, then he can be transformed by the renewing of his mind. Isn't it interesting that when the Lord Jesus speaks to the woman of Samaria, it really is one of my favorite stories in the New Testament, is, is the Lord Jesus speaking with a woman in Samaria. Isn't it interesting that, that when he is speaking to her, she, she's, she's a little bit like a Gentile. She's not a, a pure Gentile, but neither is she a pure Jew. She's living in that northern region. We just studied the book of Hosea, if you recall, and the people living in the north were just awful idolaters. They were awful, God-denying idolaters. And then when all the people were taken out of the northern kingdom and moved to Assyria over the years following, the people who moved back into that region took a little bit of the Jewish religion and a little bit of the pagan religion, just like the Jews who had lived there in the days of Hosea. And this woman who's speaking with the Lord Jesus, the Lord Jesus tells her that God is seeking such to worship him, what was it that God is seeking to worship him? Those who would worship him in spirit and in truth. This is in uh, it's John 4, John chapter 4. The Lord Jesus speaking to this half Gentile, half Jew woman is telling her God is spirit and his worshipers must worship him in spirit and in truth and God seeks such to worship him. Wouldn't it have been amazing at least to be standing 20 feet away from the Lord Jesus and listen to this conversation between her and him and then ponder, what in the world does that mean? Her, her questions were great questions. You Jews say Jerusalem is the right place to worship. But someday Messiah will come and tell us all about it, won't he? I who speak to you am he. The Lord Jesus says to her, wow, amazing. It's amazing. In the book of Thessalonians, turn to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. That reference is on your handout. The Holy Spirit is speaking on a slightly different subject in the book of Thessalonians at this point here. We're speaking about truth. We're going to spend some careful time thinking about truth this morning in terms of the regenerate, those who are born again and their their commitment to truth and becoming true worshipers. Listen to what this says here. 2 Thessalonians 2.9 The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan. And so there is a time, Peter is saying, by the Spirit, that the lawless one comes. And it's according to the working of Satan, with all power signs and lying wonders. This is a person you and I could rightly expect to show up in the world today. Verse 10, And with all unrighteous deception among those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth. And so what we're going to see here is that the Spirit, God's Spirit says those who are lacking the love of the truth will perish. There's a relationship between men and their love of truth. We're going to spend a fair bit of time thinking on that subject this morning. So look back in 
2 Thessalonians verse 10. This lawless one comes and with all unrighteous deception, it says, among those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. If they had a love of the truth, they might be saved. You see that? Now we're going to read the next verse. Verse 11. Listen to this. And for this reason, they wouldn't love the truth. And for this reason, God will send them a strong delusion. Did you see that? What's a delusion? It's almost like a it's almost like a stronger lie, isn't it? It's almost like a more persuasive lie, isn't it? A delusion. Have you ever met somebody who's delusional? Usually they're drunk or under the influence of some drug, and, and you will say they're having a delusion. They're acting in a way that makes no sense to reality. That's what delusion means. To be delusional means that you, you don't know how to act. You, the way you're acting has nothing to do with reality. That person's delusional. But this is a spiritual reality that comes on those who will not love the truth. That's what the Spirit is teaching you via this letter right here. Verse 11 again. For this reason, that they wouldn't love the truth and be saved. They wouldn't love it. Therefore, for this reason, God will send them a strong delusion that they should believe the lie that they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. What function does truth work? God's Spirit, by the letter to the Thessalonians, God's Spirit teaches men who would humble themselves before God what is the role of truth? What does truth do? What is the point of truth? How does truth work? In particular, for the deceived. Without truth, they are deceived, they are in deception, and they perish. In a sense, that's an effect of truth, isn't it? That's, that's like not taking your truth vitamin. If you choose to neglect truth, if you will not pursue it, if you will not be a consumer of truth, what's the result of it? Delusion. Perishing. What if you will pursue it? What if you decide, I am all for the truth? What if you decide, I don't care what it causes me to do. I am now a lover of the truth. What does that mean by what we just read here? If that, if that was you, that means truth for salvation. Being a lover of the truth puts you in a place where you can hear the truth and believe it and put your faith and hope and trust in Christ and be saved. But if you're not a lover of the truth, that can't happen to you. Those who won't love the truth will live in their lie. Those who won't love the truth will also have God send them something. What does God send the one who won't love the truth? It's in verse 11. If you don't love the truth, what does God send you? Delusion. I won't love truth, God. Boom. Delusion hits you. That's scary. If that doesn't scare you, you didn't read this properly. 
If that didn't scare you, you didn't listen to what I just read to you. If that didn't scare you, you're not reading the scripture with me. Do you want to live in the delusion? What does the delusion result in? What does the delusion mean? Perishing, death, hell. But God in his kind grace, God in his good grace, he says, here, love the truth. Love the truth. Love the truth. God's truth saves. God's truth saves. God's truth preserves. God's truth gives life. God's truth gives joy. God's truth gives security. John 8, 31, we see truth frees God's people. John 8, 31, truth frees God's people. John 8, 31, Jesus said to those Jews which believed on him, John 8 is where Jesus says he's the light of the world. And very often people would listen to Jesus speaking and preaching and they would be amazed at the things he was saying. They would be amazed at how wise he was. They would be amazed at how how deep his understanding was. And these Jews, he, he, he spoke to them and, and he said to them, which believed on him, if you continue in my word... Let me put it this way. If you will love the truth, if you will keep going after me, if you continue in my word, then you are my disciples indeed, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth will make you free. See, if you're not in the truth, you're not free. If you're not in the truth, you're in the delusion. The delusion keeps you captive. A delusion keeps people living in a place that's false. It's like being in a jail. How do you get out of the jail? How do you end your slavery? You turn to the Lord Jesus Christ. You listen to the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you leave delusion. Truth. Truth is the diet and the conviction of a disciple. And truth is what Christ offers for repentance and forgiveness and for eternal life. Truth is what Christ offers for repentance. You leave sin and you turn to Christ in truth. You leave delusion, you turn to the truth of life. All men... Every single man on planet Earth takes some action in regards to the truth. Every single person takes some action in regard to the truth. Some suppress the truth, Romans 1. Some suppress the truth in unrighteousness, right? Some love the truth. Some consume the truth. If you suppress the truth, last week we used two or three different words to describe the one who responds to truth and won't listen to it. Can you remember the words we used that came out of the Proverbs? What is the one who won't listen to it? 
What's he called? I heard it over here. It rhymes with joffer, scoffer. He's a scoffer. Someone who, who won't listen to the truth is a scoffer. What else is he? He was called one other thing last week. It rhymes with it rhymes with mocker because it's the word mocker. <laughs> He's a mocker. He's a mocker. Now, Proverbs very often portrays the person in his bad relationship to truth in terms that not one of you wants to be labeled with those words. If, if your mother told you you're a scoffer, if someone you love told you you're a mocker and a scoffer, that would hurt your feelings because that's a bad thing to be. You don't want to be a scoffer. You don't want to be a mocker. Right? So last week, we, we were considering the relationship between a man and his receptivity to truth. Do you receive truth when your wife tells you that you're being a jerk or being stupid and your wife tells you, do you receive it or do you get mad at it? When someone offers you wise counsel, someone tells you this is right and this is wrong, what's your response to that person? Are you a mocker or are you a scoffer? That's what we were considering last week. How do you hear that when somebody tells you that? That interests you. That's that's on sermon audio. You can you can listen to that. But truth is the diet and the conviction of a disciple. And truth is what Christ speaks. So what I was saying a moment ago is all men take some action in response to truth, and in some cases it's a negative reaction to truth. Some men react to truth. Like my German shepherd reacts to carrots. She just doesn't like them. She just doesn't go near them. What I want to exhort you to do this morning is you want to love truth like a New York steak. You want to love truth like oxygen. Some receive truth. Some are seeking truth. And they are saved and they are transformed and they show themselves to be sons. Sons of the living God. Those are the two reactions to truth. Scoffer and reception and belief. Do you pursue it or do you stay away from it? Romans 8.14 Romans 8.14 As many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. See, God speaks truth. The Lord Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. Here in, in Romans 8.14 As many as are led by the Spirit of God, as many as are led by the Father God, as many as are led by the Son, God, as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons. In other words, sons listen to Him. Sons listen to Him. Sons love the truth. Christ's truth leading to salvation and life and worship 
is for the sons of God. They're, they're consuming of that. They're pursuing that is for the sons of God because they rever God. They love God. Therefore, they receive from God. They learn from Him. They serve Him and they worship Him. And you and I need truth in our lives. We must be pursuers of truth in our lives in order to know Him, in order to worship Him, in order to serve Him in truth. You can't do it if you're not a lover of truth. You will not be a servant of the Lord. You will not be a worshiper of the Lord if you are not a lover of truth. And as we referred to briefly out of the little reference in 2 Thessalonians, deception abounds. Deception abounds. And so we are pursuers of and consumers of truth. The regenerate, the one who is born again, has a very unique disposition to truth. The one who is born again has a special orientation to truth. Men who turn from their sin, believing in Christ, had a pre-existing form. And and I'm using the word form there the way you're familiar with it in Romans 12. And I'll explain it here in a second. Men who turn from their sin and turn to Christ in faith are in the position where Romans 12 says to you, do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So what I'm saying is, is when you turn away from the world, there is a form on you already. That the world has put on you. You already know how to think like the world thinks. You love the things the world loves. You want the money of the world. You want the fame of the world. You want the whatever. The world has put its impression on you. You turn away from it. And that's why it says in Romans 12, don't be conformed to this world. That word conformed is exactly the word that you would use to describe if you took your hand and, and you laid it into some heavy clay and then you looked at the clay, you know the form your hand would make in that clay there. What Paul is saying is don't be like that in your relationship to the world. Don't let the world press and form on you like that. You Be no longer conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Men who turn from their sin had have this form on them. It's on them, it's in them. But they are going to leave it. Conversion, being born again, begins something new in that person. It's the beginning of a new interaction with truth. It sounds a little bit like philosophy, and in a way it is. The Christian left the world. And now you realize, I am a truth consumer. I'm seeking truth. Be no longer conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of the mind. The new mind is to be forming according to the truth of God and God's Word. This interaction with truth results in a real relationship with God and it results from a real relationship with God. 
That is, you are pursuing your knowledge of Him and your walk with Him. And this this truth-seeking changes you. It's how that conforming thing, it's how that stops being the world and begins being like God. That is, you are being conformed into the image of Christ as you pursue your knowledge and your relationship with Christ. God is seeking true worshipers and therefore men who innovate worship and reverence are doing what the world does. And so when you come to the Lord God, remember the subject of these messages is worship. When you leave the world and you turn to Him, we are going to learn what worship is. We are going to learn what service to Him is. We are going to learn what reverence to Him is from Him. He teaches us what it means to love Him. He teaches us what it means to serve Him. He teaches us what it means to worship Him. The instruction from God after conversion says, don't be like the world anymore. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Think about about a wife who would never make her husband the food he likes. Now, there there may be six or ten or or fifteen days a week where that doesn't happen because sometimes our schedules are just that way or or sometimes maybe the thing your husband likes is super expensive or super hard to make or maybe you don't know how to make it. But the wife who would just never do what her husband liked or make what her husband liked, what would that indicate about the, the flavor of love between that man and that woman? That would just be wrong. And in the same way, the husband who would never do for his wife the kinds of things or the kind of food or the kind of date that she would really like and enjoy is just wrong. It's not how the man would love his wife and it's not how the woman would love her husband. So it is the man's knowledge of his wife or it is the wife's knowledge of her husband and then her reacting to him, her responding to him and vice versa. Him reacting to, loving for, in light of what they know about the person. That's how true love is actually manifested. If Eva tells Fanny, I love white roses and he brings her daisies, then what do we say about that guy? It's like, dude, that was dumb. I heard her say white roses. What I'm telling you is when a man leaves the world and comes to God by Christ, you aren't the one who defines what it means to love him and worship him and serve him. You pursue your knowledge of him and your knowledge and your love and your service is formed by what he has revealed to us in his word. His word is for life and worship. His word is for life and worship. You see, God's words are what reveal his nature. His words are what reveals what is pleasing to him. And men who form their thinking and their living and their serving according to what they have learned by his words, these men are demonstrating their faith and their love for him 
by acting according to what they've learned of him. It's what it means. So the Christian is to bear a life. The way you live, the way you serve, a Christian is to bear a life the same way a tree bears fruit. As you are grounded in the faith of the new birth, as you seek truth, it has resulted from your world in the new birth, then and only then you actually know how to live and serve and worship. Turn to 1 Peter 1, 22 with me. Let me show you how this works. 1 Peter 1, 22. We'll be in this book for a few minutes here. We'll look at several verses here in 1 Peter. 1 Peter 1, 22. Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit, in sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart. Now listen at verse 23. He's basically saying you have to love Christians. Verse 23 having been born again. Love one another fervently with a pure heart, having been born again. You see, it's an argument. If you've been born again, you love Christians. That's what he's saying here. But look how he continues. Having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. That is the character of the word that has given new life. In other words, the person who has come to saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ has come to faith by his word, which has a certain nature to it. The word has a certain character to it. What is the nature of the word that gave new life? Look down in your Bible at the end of the passage here. It says the word of God lives and abides forever. That is the character of the thing that has animated the born-again creature. The person has come to faith in Christ by what? By an eternal word. The thing that changed their whole view in the world came by this word that lives and abides forever. The word of God reveals truth. God's children obey the truth by the Spirit. And this is what Peter calls an incorruptible word. Incorruptible means it can't break. Incorruptible means it can't be polluted or watered down or melt away. So the thing that is formed, the thing that is given life by the thing that is incorruptible is now said to have a special obligation on it. The one who's been born again has been given eternal life. Does that make sense to you? The one who has been born again has been given eternal life. It cannot die. Where did it get that characteristic of its inability to die? It came from a word that is not corruptible. It came from an eternal word. What Peter is basically saying is the new life came 
by the Word of God and its nature, the nature of the Word of God that gave life to that person cannot be corrupted. Therefore, this creature that has been formed in the new birth cannot be corrupted. It is a new thing. The life formed by the Word of God is not a natural thing. It's not a worldly thing. It's a supernatural thing. The life given by the preached Word that has been believed is an eternal life. Those who are born again are new creatures. They have been born again. What they were is something that can die. When you are born again, can you die? No. You will live forever with the Savior because you're born again. That is the nature of what Peter is explaining. They were born again of God's incorruptible Word, and the Word of God is the substance of their faith. That is, their knowledge of God, their knowledge of Christ, their faith in Christ is words. Your faith is not without words. Do you understand that? You cannot have faith in Christ without specific, objective truths about Christ being received and certain objective truths about sin and death that you have chosen to reject. When you put your faith in Christ, it is a real thing and it is an articulated thing. It is a word thing. Do you understand how you can't have faith without words? You cannot have faith without words. Your faith is, is all of the words and all of the wisdom and all of the explanation of redemption in God's Word. You cannot have faith without words. You cannot explain to me why you think you're saved without words. You can't tell an unbeliever why they are going to die and go to hell without words. And you can't give them hope without words. You know that one of the names of the Lord Jesus is the Logos. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. That word is logos in Greek. It's the word word. So Peter is touching on this. Look at verse 23 again. 1 Peter 1, 23. Having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible. Through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. God's word becomes how there is substance to your faith, how there is an ability to obey Him in worship, how it is possible to serve Him in truth. It is by His Word. Go back to Hebrews 1 again, which is where we were at this morning. Hebrews 1. And what I'm going to do now is I'm going to explain to you 
how the natural creation is sustained by the word of God. And then I'm going to return to this subject of how a Christian, how the one who is born again is sustained by the word of God. I'm going to contrast these two things to, to put some more meat on the bones of this for you. So look at Hebrews 1.1 with me. God who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets has in these last days spoken by his son. Very, very similar to John 1, right? The word became flesh and dwelt among us. Has in these last days spoken to us by his son, is what it says in Hebrews. The, the word took on flesh and dwelt among us, is what it says in John 1. And now, back in Hebrews, it says, Whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds. Through the Son, God made the worlds who being the brightness of his glory and express image of his person. Now listen to this. Look at this phrase. Upholding all things by the word of his power. What does that mean? The Son is upholding all things by the word of his power. What does that mean? What does it mean to uphold something? It means to keep it. So let's take one something. Let's use one something for an example. The Son. How does God uphold the sun? How does the sun be a sun? God upholds it by the word of his power. The sun has its sunness, its hotness, its size. It has all of the nature of what a sun is by the word of his power. God's word makes the sun a sun. And keeps the sun a sun. We we read this part of Hebrews because the writer of Hebrews is is lifting up the humanity of the Lord Jesus up and beyond the wildest imagination of men, so that men realize that the Lord Jesus is like no man you have ever conceived. So we're talking about God sustaining all things by the word of His power, right? The sun upholding all things by the word of his power. If you looked at Acts, we won't turn it, Acts 27.15, there is reference to a ship that is sailing in Acts 27. In Acts 27, the ship that is sailing has its sail being filled with wind. It's, it's being sustained by the wind. The ship is getting all of its power for movement and taking its direction by what is filling its sail. It's being carried. When it says in Hebrews that the Son is upholding all things by the word of His power... That is the same word that is here in Acts where the wind is carrying the ship. The wind is carrying the sail. So picture how a boat's sail is is moving it. How does the wind fill a sail? How does the wind move a boat? It just fills it and presses on it. That's the same word that we read in Hebrews. God is upholding all things by the word of his power. The same way the sail is filled and pressed and carried is what this word is. This is what the power of God's word is. 
This is how God's word is upholding the universe. So now come back into your shoes. What is filling your sails? You as a person who has come to Christ by faith and you wake up in the morning and you decide what you're going to say to your wife or your husband or you decide what you're going to go do to turn on the radio or, or take care of your dogs. What is filling your sails? What is driving you out of the sheets at noon or at 6.30 in the morning? What? Why do you get up when you get up? Why do you snap nasty things at your spouse? Or why do you ignore your spouse? Or why do you do a kind thing to your spouse? What fills your sails? Now, Hebrews told us that everything in the universe is upheld by the word of his power. Acts said that there's a ship with its sail being pressed to where it's going that is upheld by the wind. Now I'm asking you, men and women, you who are followers of Christ, what is filling your sails? Is it the word of God's power? Is it the word of Christ Jesus? What's sustaining your sails? What gets you out of bed in the morning? What makes you bite your tongue and hold back a mean, unkind word? What puts your hand in your pocket for ten bucks or a hundred bucks to give to somebody who needs it? See, the unregenerate person cannot do God's will. A person who is not born again cannot do God's will. 1 Corinthians 2.14 The natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. The unborn again cannot do the will of God. But the one who has been born again has become a lover of truth. has become a lover of God's words. And it is my opinion. It is my conviction you are to be filled like a sail is filled with wind. As God upholds the natural creation by the word of his power, a Christian is to be upheld by the word of his power. Now that's not a mystical thing because his word isn't an unknown mystical thing. His word is a known thing. Go back to 1 Peter 1. 1 Peter 1. He said, The word of the Lord endures forever. A person has been born again by the incorruptible word, is what it said. And the word of the Lord endures forever. So Peter is speaking about grass. Grass dies. The grass withers, right? He's, he's saying the, 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 the natural grass just dies. But what happens to the one who's been born by the word of God? He lives forever. That's what Peter's talking about. It's actually a quotation from the Old Testament. A man who has been born again has been born again by the enduring word. There's the word. He's been given new life by the word. A man's life in Christ is by the word of God. He's no longer like grass. 
You don't die and crinkle up like the grass if you've been born again. The Word created something new. What is it? Eternal life. You've been made sons of God. Now, this is the Word by which the Gospel is preached to you, is what it says at the end of 1 Peter 1. This is the Word which by the Gospel was preached to you. Now, look at chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore, follow me. This is really important. It's going to help you understand the Christian life. Look at chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore, laying aside all malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and evil speaking. So, you've been born again by the living Word of God. You've been born again by this Word that is incorruptible. And what does he say at verse 1? Laying aside malice, deceit, hypocrisy, and evil speaking. Don't be filled with that wind. That is the wind of the world. That is the thing that forms the world in Romans 12. Don't be conformed to this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. But Peter has said, don't be this. Don't let this fill you. Don't let this sustain you. These five things... Each one could be a sermon. But look at it. Malice, which means evil or bad or mean or wicked. Deceit. Lying. Even white lies. Envy. Hypocrisy. Does envy motivate people to do some things? Do people act hypocritically? Do you act hypocritically? Do you have one demeanor towards some people and another demeanor toward other people? Evil speaking, talking behind somebody's back, talking talking down on somebody behind their back, talking about them, slandering them. He's saying leave these things. Laying aside these things. So the incorruptible word of God has brought life, eternal life. And then Peter says, leave that. Don't let that sustain your life. Don't let that be your life. But look at what you do and said. Look at verse 2. As newborn babies desire the pure milk of the word. What is Peter teaching you and I to sustain our life by as a Christian? What is, how does Peter teach you you know how to live? You know how to do that other thing naturally. The world taught you how to do that. that you, you know how to do that easy. What does he teach you to do? Desire the pure milk of the world, or the word, that you may grow by the word, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. In other words, in other words, let's stick with the sailing picture here. You hoist your sail up, Christian. And there is one thing you want filling your sail. There's one thing you want driving your soul and your heart and your mind as someone who's been born again, as someone who is learning to serve and worship the eternal God. Peter said, desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. Because you have been given life You have been given eternal life by the incorruptible word. 
Learn to feed on that incorruptible word. Learn to be formed by that incorruptible word. Learn to be compelled by that the same way wind moves the boat. Leave those things of the world behind. I was going to share with you a testimony of Augustine. I'm not going to. I'm going to give you a minute. We're going to pray together. We're going to thank the Lord for his word. Let's pray together. Almighty God. Oh, how I pray for eyes to see and I pray for a heart to feel the promise to understand the greatness of what you hold out for us, God. Oh, Lord God, might we learn to trust you. Might we learn to find joy in walking with you, dear God. Might we be sustained by your very word as the sun has its heat and light. Oh, dear God, might we have faith, forgiveness, graciousness, perseverance for Christ's sake. We pray in his name, Lord. Amen.